Happy Tuesday. Welcome in to NSN Daily. Shannon Kelly, Chris Murray, and joined with Alex Margulies. We have a busy show to get to today. The Reno Rodeo continues. We're about halfway through the action. Kirsten Moran shows us how to find the perfect cowboy hat over at the Livestock Event Center. A fun story there for you. Our Wolfpack Athlete of the Year Challenge continues, and plus some exciting Nevada football news. You'll want to stick around for this one, Wolfpack fans. And I'll give you a hint. It involves Nevada's home opener. But first, our Exploring Our Backyard series continues. We've checked out the Carson River Canyon. We've checked out Horsetail Falls. And this week, Alex, you checked out the Flume Trail. And it looked amazing up there. I didn't even know that was possible, really. I mean, just how, how much fun was that up there? Yeah, I got to tell you, this is something I've been wanting to do for a very long time. And it's one of those crazy things that, considering that I grew up in Incline Village, that I've never done this uh, is, is kind of hard to believe. I mean, it's right there in Incline. It starts at the Tunnel Creek Cafe and it goes all the way from there uh, basically to um, the Spooner Summit. And, you know, I've talked about doing this for a couple of years. I always want to go biking the Flume Trail and it finally worked out this year. And I finally got up there uh, to check it out. And it was just incredible. I mean, to be on top of Lake Tahoe like that, the views, the terrain, um, it, it really, to me, I think has to be one of the, the coolest biking paths that you can access not only in the country but the world so when you consider just the the way that it's shaped out and, and the views and stuff so we'll talk more about the flume trail but first here's the piece that we put together for exploring our backyard presented by sprad's rv I talk about doing it every year. We finally have made it halfway through and I'm blown away. I mean, this is the coolest bike ride I've ever been on. The views of Tahoe, this kind of technical terrain with all the rocks. Max, uh, you were one of the guys that actually helped blaze this trail, literally clearing out in the 80s to make this thing happen. You've probably ridden it 500 times. Does this ever get old for you, even though you've done it that many times? Uh, never. I, I always stop and look around. You know, even if I'm in a hurry, I make it a point to stop because it's just so incredibly beautiful here. It's, you're 15, 1600 feet above the lake, half a mile from Sand Harbor right here. You look like you could throw a rock in it. It's just amazing. I just have to stop and look every time. Wow. You gotta be kidding me, this is so cool. You spent your life biking all over the world. Does this rank as, as one of the best places in the world to ride a bike? Absolutely, I mean, I've biked like in a lot of places in Europe. Um, this is the most scenic trail that I've ever done. As you finish the trail down the, down the Tunnel Creek Road, you end up right here at the bike shop, which is right behind the cafe and kind of the, the perfect setup to end the ride, you know, as a cold beer with your buddies on the deck of the cafe. Alex, I know you're a big like uh, payoff at the end of the hike view kind of guy. The cool thing about this is like the payoff's the whole hike or the whole bike ride. I mean, there's really never a point where you don't have an amazing view. It's not like you're working to get to the view. And, you know, when you're kind of perched above Sand Harbor, that's just really special. What stood out to you just about the, the sights that you got to take in while doing this bike ride? Yeah, you're right. I mean, usually you're kind of like working towards something. But as soon as you leave Tunnel Creek Cafe, I mean, you're right there above Lake Tahoe. Um, it's kind of that same trail that you can use to access Monkey Rock. If, if those of you are familiar with that, it's right above that new Tahoe East Shore Trail, which is obviously lower to the lake. So, you know, to get that perspective from up high is so cool. Um, one thing that surprised me is like 
the terrain a little bit kind of near Tunnel Creek Cafe. It was a little sandier than I thought. And so I was actually really glad the bikes that we rented were e-bikes. So they had a pedal assist because um, there are definitely a few parts that it was a little challenging, uh, not only for myself, but in particular, I'm not going to completely throw them under the bus. Brian Culpa, not the best biker. Like, I don't think Brian Culpa is ever going bike, mountain biking again. He was actually kind of pissed at me uh, because we went biking in Zion National Park during road trip last year. Uh, and he just had trouble with his bike like the entire day. And so, of course, like me and Rez, uh, Anthony Resnick, we uh, we immediately were like, Culpa's going to have a hard time with the bike again today, isn't he? And like we start off and we look back and, and he's like 15 minutes behind us or whatever. So he had a little bit of a struggle, uh, even though there was a pedal assist. Apparently, his bike wasn't on, which I don't know if I believe him or not. And maybe it was. Maybe he actually did get screwed. But um, it was sandier than I thought. But then it just like the entire terrain around there is just so pretty. And then when you get into the Flume Trail itself, um, it's a lot narrower than I thought. Um, it is. It is a very kind of technical terrain. You have to be very careful. A lot of people walked. Uh, portions of that trail obviously Chris you said you you've walked the entire thing um, you know I think if I were to do it again I would walk uh, certain parts of the trail um, because I did eventually crash not yeah. something I'm very proud of uh, but there was a, a, a spill there that um, was pretty scary I'm not gonna lie uh, I'm still kind of recovering with some some scrapes and stuff in my arm now uh, that I'm still kind of working through and and I was very very fortunate to have not really tumbled all the way down the mountain, which was certainly possible given how steep it was. Um, so I think if I were to do it again, maybe walk a little bit, but it wouldn't deter me from doing it again. At least me, you know, I, I think it was awesome. I want to do it again. I want to do the whole thing, uh, which we only kind of did half of it. So, um, you know, it kind of leaves me an opportunity to do it the, the full way. Yeah. So just talk about the full way a little bit. I mean, thankfully you are okay. I want to throw that in there as well, because that would not have been good. Um, but talk about what is the full trail because it's 14 miles and that's, that's a pretty long bike ride and that's a pretty long hike too. Yeah. So, um, what we did just for kind of time purposes, we took off from the tunnel Creek cafe and this is an option. Um, but we basically biked kind of up the, the back end of this and then you kind of get to the flume trail from that direction. Um, which is, it's a shorter distance to get to the flume trail itself. And so for our purposes, because we were in the middle of taping, our uh, Tahoe Reno golf tour show, we had a lot of other things going on. We didn't really have the entire day to dedicate to this, but the kind of more classic thing to do um, there at the Tunnel Creek Cafe and, and right above the, the cafe is, is this bike shop. It's really cool. Uh, Flume Trail Mountain Bikes and Max and his team do an awesome job there and highly recommend going and checking them out. But basically you can actually get on a shuttle. So they'll put you on a shuttle, put your bike on a shuttle and they'll drive you um, down the, the East shore um, to Spooner Lake. And then from there, it is a one-way 14-mile ride. I want to say there's like a 1,000 or 2,000 feet of elevation gain. So it's not like it's going to be completely easy, um, but you kind of have a gra more gradual elevation gain at the beginning. And then from there, it's flat and downhill. So in terms of just like physical exhaustion and stuff, I don't think it's going to be the most challenging physical bike ride because of the way it's set up and it's mostly flat and downhill. Now you to be really careful going the downside of it um you know being careful not to get too much speed because you can flip over and crash and and not only did i crash uh on the flume trail itself culpa did crash going downhill too so uh you know just be careful out there folks you don't want to end up uh like me and culpa um 
but I would like to try to do that route and do the full 14 miles. I don't think it would be too physically demanding. And I think it would be so worth it and, and such an awesome kind of bucket list type of Tahoe experience, especially if you're a mountain biker. Um, I, I know people that love to mountain bike, they rave about this trail and, and I can totally see why. Yeah, if you start at the Spooner uh, kind of trailhead, it's like a $5 entry fee, but it's probably about an hour before you get to Marlette Lake, which is really beautiful. And that's completely fat and it's got a, a huge lane. And then you go to the Trum, uh, the Flume Trail from there. So if you do, yeah, it's really cool from the start. It's just a full day extravaganza. And, you know, so to let everyone behind the scenes, we, you were supposed to be down in the Carson Valley right now. That was the original yeah. for this shot. Uh, but the second time this, this summer so far, your hot air ballooning uh, ride has been canceled so uh how are you feeling about this are we going to get it in before the end of the year i hope so uh i, I don't know is this a, a sign maybe i shouldn't be hot air ballooning i don't know because <laughs> uh it's, it's been twice but you know i have to which one of those things it's disappointing but you don't want to get in a balloon when they tell you you probably shouldn't get in a balloon so uh especially after my recent bike crash i probably shouldn't uh be rolling the dice on on some of these um outdoor activities but uh, I guess the wind was just too strong down there uh, in the Carson Valley. So we'll have to postpone that. We were going to go out there with Balloon, Nevada. Uh, they take out and take off in Lampy Park. Uh, and I imagine that's an amazing place uh, to get in a hot air balloon. I mean, to be in that Carson Valley, which is one of my favorite areas in our, in our area, just to, the, the way the mountains set up. And it's just so beautiful with all the, all the ranch land and stuff. I think that would have been a really cool place to do a balloon. Uh, I have done one previously in Lake Tahoe. Uh, they actually take you out on a barge um, out of South Lake Tahoe and take off in the middle of the lake. And, and that was just a stunning uh, situation as well. So hopefully to get it in before the end of the summer, we'll see how it goes. Um, but if not, if it doesn't work out, you know, we've got tons of great uh, exploring our backyard adventures. One of my favorite projects that we get to do and, and just kind of get out there and, and try some new stuff for myself and, and hopefully inspire you guys to try some new things here in Northern Nevada, Northern California, because I say this every year, but within an hour, two hours, three hours of our area, there are so many cool activities and such a diverse, um, you know, list of things to do. And, and um, you know, we've got great weather to do it. Yeah. I mean, I think you found so much different cool stuff between the waterfalls last summer. I know some hot springs that you found before some really hidden gems that, and to be honest, I've hiked up to Marlette Lake before. I've done Monkey Rock. I've hiked Spooner Lake. And I didn't even know that the Flume Trail was there. So I don't know if I just missed it or it was right in front of my face and I didn't see it. But uh, <laughs> really, a really cool bike ride. I think I would check it out. It's really narrow, though. So I would be a little nervous about that. Were you nervous at all at that? Going? Yeah, I probably should have been. I probably should have been. <laughs> I wasn't. No, I was just like kind of in the zone. I was feeling good. I mean, it. we'll give you the, you know, you've seen the video now of me crashing, but if you look at it closely, basically I'm riding and I like just barely, I mean, just the smallest nick of my handlebar nicks a rock and that just like threw me off. So you'd have to be very careful because there are some sections that get super narrow. I wasn't quite, um, I didn't quite know how narrow it got. So I think now that I've seen it, I can kind of see it from my own eyes. Um, and again, that's kind of like my advice to you guys. If you're going to go out and do the flume trail, there's some sections, just walk it. You know, people are doing it. Um, do you feel confident enough to, to charge it, you know, charge it, but, um, it's, uh, you definitely don't want to fall where I did put it that <laughs> way. <laughs> no, no, I biked the Tahoe pyramid trail. I biked part of that before. And I like, I walked part of that because it was just too much. So it's just a great activity. And I, like I said, the last thing I want to do is deter anyone from trying it because it's so worth it. Even if you're going to walk it, 
like go walk it. You know what I mean? This is like a, this is a trail that deserves to be like as, as one of the top things. I think honestly, after doing this, I think this is one of the coolest outdoor activities in our area. And whether you bike it, whether you walk it, definitely got to give it a shot. Well, go check it out. The Tahoe Flume Trail and coming up next here on NSN Daily, we'll take a look at the Reno Rodeo. We'll head over to the Livestock Event Center. Kirsten Moran has feature on how to find the perfect rodeo hat. Alex Margulies, thanks for stopping by the show here and telling us about your latest adventure. You got it, guys. Have a good show. We'll have much more ready, please. Welcome back into NSN Daily. Well, the Reno Rodeo rolls on at the Livestock Event Center. The action is more than halfway over now, but it's been a packed house the last couple of nights I've been out there. It's nice to see people getting out there safely, of course, but um, people going out and just trying to have a good time at an event in Reno, something that, you know, we haven't been able to do in a long time, really. Chris, are you going to make it out there hopefully this week? Uh, not sure. Not sure. Uh, I've been asked that a few times on the show and I, that's uh, been my typical answer. I don't have to thus far, but if I do go out there, I'd probably pick up a cowboy hat and we sent our Kirsten Moran out there to try and find the perfect cowboy hat. And it's actually a lot more intricate than you probably think. So here's uh, Kirsten's results from uh, the search for the perfect cowboy hat. What does it take when finding the perfect cowboy hat? I look at the person and I go with her uh, if a person's light complected, I go with a darker hat and I try to balance the hat features out. I want the same distance from the tip of the brim to the top of the crown as you have the tip of the brim to the bottom of your chin. That balances your face in half. With the width of the brim coming down from the sides should hit the center line of your shoulders. This crease up here on top should be the width of your mouth. Crease on the side, divide it in half and drop a line down, should split the retinas of your eyes. The outline of your crown should follow the outline of your face from the corner of your eyes to your chin. That balances you just like if you're painting a picture. Don Rehm, who represents Resistol and Stetson, has been helping people for 50 years as he fits and shapes cowboy hats to each individual. Steam relaxes the felt. And I can take and work it. To hit my, fit to, my big to head. To fit your <laughs> big head. Wow, it see does. See there? See how yeah, that, that went on? Yeah. Now, I'll get you. Yeah. And you wear it right above the eyebrows. You're not on the back of your head, but right above the eyebrows. Reem followed in his grandfather's footsteps at the age of 15 and says he instantly fell in love with making hats. The Texas native has helped custom fit stars like Garth Brooks and Oprah Winfrey. However, when it comes to the Reno Rodeo, Reem adds it's the biggest little city that holds a special place. It's the wildest, richest rodeo in the West. And they have a lot of prize money. They draw the biggest, finest, best cowboys in the country. They come to Reno and have a good time and try to make some money. So how many steps are there when making a hat? A hat manufacturing from start to finish in a felt hat, there's over 250 steps from start to finish. And your quality hats and resist all uh, is one of the finest hat manufacturers in the world. The Hatco is one of our largest hat manufacturers, and they're all manufactured there in Texas. Be sure to check out Don Ream and Resistol during the Reno Rodeo located at the Livestock Event Center. Reporting for Nevada Sportsnet, I'm Kirsten Moran. So I didn't realize there was such a secret that goes into finding the perfect hat. Who would have thought um, I, there's so many hats out there, which one fits your face, which one's 
good for your skin complexion, your skin tones. I mean, Chris, do you own any cowboy hats? Do you have the perfect cowboy hat maybe? I don't. I mean, Don Ream was breaking that thing down. Like, I don't think that there's uh, more of an expert in cowboy hats than that guy. Uh, it was an amazing display of knowledge on how to fit a cowboy hat to a head. It's not just like, you know, you wear a baseball cap, you wear a seven and one quarter, and that's the baseball hat that you wear. Like there was, you know, how big are your cheekbones and your nose structure and your mouth and your eyes. And it's like, okay, that, that's pretty cool. So if you go out to the Reno Rodeo over the next couple of days, go visit Don and he'll get you the, uh, the best suited cowboy hat uh, possible, apparently. I, I mean, what about you? Do you have a cowgirl hat over there? You know, I do, but I don't think it's a real hat. So when I was over with Kirsten shooting this story with Don, and it was amazing to see how he's like cleaning all these hats and there's so much detail that goes into it. And I'm like, this is not the right hat, but I'm going to break it out because I bought this at Cabela's a couple of years ago and it's a, a straw hat. Um, it's it has kind of like a combo. Yeah, that's yeah. nice. You get, you get the cowgirl and you get a little, little vacation feel with the straw hat. I like it. And you know, it, my hair, my head can breathe because <laughs> it's hot at the rodeo. So, I mean, I guess this one could work, but I didn't feel like this was very uh, of an official hat, I guess you could say. I think Dawn would be a little disappointed in this hat, uh, but I do actually have another hat. It's actually not mine. It's my boyfriend's hat, but his is a real hat. It's this white one here. And this one I think is pretty pretty legit but I don't think that this this actually matches him though with his face and his complexion based off what Don oh. was saying I don't know if this would be the perfect hat for him but it's a really nice a nice hat I I think yeah. he got it in, in Canada I think I think you should go back out there because you're going to go cover the rodeo again today with that original hat that you had and go visit Don and see what his response is and record that I think he would probably be a guest he would be like what what's going on here we have to get you ready like this this is not the kind of cowboy hat that I'd be handing out to somebody. But um, do you know how much cowboy hats are? Like, I have no idea. Like, I get a baseball hat, it's like 30 bucks. That seems like that's, you know, a pretty good deal. But I would imagine cowboy hats are quite a bit more, you know, pricey given all the expertise that goes into it. I think they are pretty expensive. I don't, I wasn't checking on the price tags while I was out there, but I want to say that they are pretty expensive. I was talking to someone uh, over at the Reno Rodeo, one of our uh, folks that's been helping us out from Foundry Madison, and she said she treated herself to a hat. So I want to say that they're a little bit expensive. I'll have to check some price tags, though, when I go out there today. But you can visit Dawn at the Resist All tent um, inside the Livestock Event Center, inside the indoor arena. There's a bunch of shops set up inside there. That was pretty cool checking that out, too, because I've never really been inside. I've always been mm -hmm. outside and checking that out. But um, it was neat to see that. So I'll have to bring out my other hat, though, for Dawn and see if he, <laughs> see if he approves. I don't know. So it's that's good. the cool thing about the rodeo though you know if you're out there to watch the show you get the show if you're out there to ride some rides and eat some you know probably not the greatest food for you but really good tasting food you got that option if you want to go you know into the fair area there's a lot of really cool stuff there i mean you could make a full day of it and never really go inside the reno rodeo arena and they you know they sell tickets for that and that's an, an availability but yeah let, let us know how don reacts to that ad. he's gonna like the the red white and blue for sure um uh, the rest of it i'm not so sure though because i'm looking i'm looking at the piece right now in my background and i don't see any straw hats in his <laughs> in his arsenal there so we'll, we'll see how he reacts to that yeah we'll see but i'll keep you posted on that and like you said there you're talking about the carnival stuff what's your favorite carnival food i'll tell you mine in a second but what's yours first like i like the uh the kennel corn you know it's uh it's pretty simple um you know a, a frozen banana i'm not sure if they do that with the chocolate on top uh you know you 
eat a good pretzel with some nacho cheese. Like they, you really can't go wrong. The funnel cakes are really good as well. I've kind of been on a diet, so uh, I probably would try and avoid that stuff. I don't know how good my willpower would be though, being surrounded by everybody eating that yeah. stuff. I think they got churros out there as well. I'm a big churro guy. Uh, love me uh, some churros. So yeah, I could do a lot of damage definitely out of the carnival with the food. What, what about for you? Well, I, like you just said there, I love churros, but funnel cake is my all time absolute favorite funnel cake, hundred percent all the way. I love it. I actually haven't had one yet this year. So I think I'm going to have to have to do that the next couple of days, but just put your diet on pause, put your diet on pause <laughs> for, for the week of the rodeo, only a couple days left. You can head on out to the livestock event center. There's a couple locals competing and Tuesday night's events, Money Christ, a bull rider here from Reno, Nevada, and then Dakota Eldridge, he'll compete in steer wrestling, compete in slack earlier um, in the day and hopes to make it to tonight's seven o'clock events. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Uh, and it's also a kind of a special day as well that we kind of mentioned the Man Up Crusade night. Uh, so Man Up Crusade has kind of been a long time battle against domestic violence. Uh, and that, that's really cool. So they're asking everyone to wear purple. That's the purple of the nonprofit foundation. Um, you know, they, they call domestic violence an epidemic in our society and child exposure to domestic abuse leads to that child potentially being way more at risk to commit domestic violence in the future. So uh, if you are going out there, put on some purple for a good cause. They're all about fighting domestic violence and making sure people have safe homes to live in. Wear your purple and head on out to the Livestock Event Center. All the action starts at 7 o'clock again tonight. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, our Wolfpack Athlete of the Year Challenge continues. We'll show you who today's matchup is right after the break. Welcome back into NSN Daily. Well, our Wolfpack Athlete of the Year Challenge continues. Today's matchup pits women's basketball player Deja Hamilton and football player Cole Turner, the tight end, both juniors who had pretty great seasons as well. Hamilton, she was named Nevada's first All-Mountain West player since Jade Redmond back in 2019. She led the pack with almost 14 points, four rebounds, almost three assists per game. Um, and Cole Turner, he was one of the top tight ends in the nation. He made All-Mountain West first team. Um, he tied his teammate Romeo Dubs for the most touchdowns in the conference with nine. Um, he had almost 50 catches, almost 600, more than 600 receiving yards. Both had pretty great seasons. So I think this is another battle for a tough junior matchup, seven versus 10 today. I think we're going to get an upset here. The uh, early results are pointing Cole Turner's way. I always think that, you know, if you play football or basketball, uh, that's a huge uh, boost in terms of your name recognition. Now we have somebody from football and basketball going against each other. Deja may have hit the biggest shot in you know the season for all sports. I mean, she hit a game-winning three-pointer with the game tied against UNLV with 1.3 seconds left. It's not very often you get to hit a game winner against your rival in their building. And Deja was able to do that. And that capped a 32-point game against the Rebels. Uh, I remember watching that game on my computer as I was writing up stories. And, you know, it was just, it was an amazing shot and it had to be a huge shot for her, the biggest shot of her career. And she really stepped into the lead guard role. Uh, as we talked about before, Essence Booker transferred out, Imani Lacey transferred out, Mark Effa graduated. So Nevada lost its top three scorers and somebody had to step into that role. That was Deja Hamilton this year. And she did a really good job in that. She led Nevada to a 13 and nine record. They finished nine and seven in the Mountain West, uh, good for fifth place 
place. That's their best finish since 2014. So she's definitely very deserving. And then you look at Cole Turner. I mean, this guy was an absolute stud. He basically didn't play much his first two seasons. So for him to step in and be one of the nation's top tight ends, uh, you know, in his first year at that position after moving from wide receiver was amazing. He had, like you said, nine touchdowns in nine games, six of Nevada's nine games. He scored a touchdown three times. He had a multiple touchdown game. So he was exceptionally dangerous. The team had a lot of success as well. Seven and two. Cole Turner did score two touchdowns in that famous Idaho Potato Bowl win over Tulane. So I think Toll's probably going to get the edge because, you know, football players are big men on campus. But I think both of these players are very deserving. And if it is an upset, it'll be the first one in our bracket. So I guess that's kind of cool to see a lower seated uh, guy go out there and win a match. Maybe we can see an upset. Like you said, we haven't seen any this year. An upset is always good. But also, yeah, both very very deserving. I've always enjoyed watching Deja Hamilton play. She's so aggressive when she's out there. And, you know, what she was able to do this season was pretty awesome. She led the team. And like you said, that win over UNLV, anytime you can get a win against their rival, against your rival in their building, that's that, that makes or breaks your season, I think. I mean, that's such a big game. And, you know, a lot of these players, they hold a lot of their season on that game against UNLV just because of how strong this rivalry is. So you can go vote over on our website, nevadasportsnet.com or over on Chris Murray's Twitter at by Chris Murray as our uh, bracket continues throughout the week. Deja Hamilton versus Cole Turner today. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, we'll have some more Wolfpack news and some exciting stuff for you Nevada football fans. Stay tuned right for the break. Welcome back into NSN Daily. Well, we were just talking about Cole Turner there and the Nevada football team and some more Wolfpack football news. Stadium just announced their schedule uh, yesterday. That comes after CBS Sports and Fox Sports have announced their schedules. They announced them a little bit earlier this year off their TV schedules. But we will be airing the Nevada football home opener against Idaho State on NSN since that is a game that's on stadium. And this is a very, very exciting thing for us here, Chris. I mean, to be able to pick up Nevada, a Nevada football game and it'll be their home opener provided to us by stadium. It's not very often you're able to get one of these kind of properties. I mean, these are huge contracts to be able to be able to air these things. And stadium is basically the third tier partner. So it goes CBS makes its picks. Fox makes its picks and then stadium makes its picks and stadium and NSN are both owned by Sinclair. So we'll be able to pick up that game, 7.30 kickoff, put it on our air. I'm sure we'll do a pregame show and a postgame show and kind of blow that thing out, but it'll be a big event. I mean, it's going to be Nevada's first home game. And after not allowing robust fans last year, capping out at 250 fans, I expect that to be a really, really well attended game. If you're not able to make the game though, you will be able to watch it on Nevada sports. Now, maybe the one, Downside is that 7.30 kickoff. I did see a lot of kickback in terms of game times for this season. So, so far, nine Wolfpack games have been selected for a kickoff time. Three of them are still to be determined. Of those nine, eight of the kickoffs are at six o'clock or later. Almost all of them are actually at 7.30. So you are going to see a lot of night games this year. That's kind of par for the course. But the trade-off is, you know, Nevada's going to get about three, three and a half million dollars in television revenue money. So, uh, you know, there is a trade-off for having to play all these late kickoffs. And that's the financial aspect. But just in terms of this Idaho State game, it'll be really cool to be able to air it. I know we've done a couple of Hawaii games at Hawaii the last couple of years. But I think this will be our first home game on the football side we've done women's basketball men's basketball baseball and, and a number of other sports but the first time we get to you know broadcast one from Mackey Stadium I saw a lot of kickback as well when you mentioned that before and I was going to ask you can you explain a little bit to our viewers about why the games are so late but you just mentioned with the revenue there and 
that's just how it goes. And we're on the West coast as well. So we're stuck with those late times because that's just how it rolls. I mean, the East coast, they get the earlier games typically more times than not, but hopefully there might be, you said a couple times still to be determined. Uh, hopefully maybe those are a little bit earlier than seven 30, but I think Wolfpack fans are maybe a little used to that seven 30 kickoff uh, by now, but at least all 12 of the games will be on TV. So if you can't make it out, um, they will be either on CBS sports network, uh, five of those games there, and then five games on the Fox networks as well and moving on a little bit um heading over to lombardi pool so not too far away mackie stadium over to lombardi uh well fact diving coach jin Lee, jin Lee Yu, she was announced uh yesterday that she'll be part of usa's olympic diving staff this is such an awesome opportunity for her she's already joining krista palmer over there in tokyo but uh she was just named to the team yesterday yeah, really cool. One of nine members of the USA diving staff for these Olympics. That was kind of obvious because Krista Palmer, you know, that's her coach. So you get to be on the team, but this won't be Jin Lee's first trip over to the Olympics as a coach. That's really how she came to the United States. She was part of the Team USA coaching squad for the 1996 Atlanta Games. She was specializing in coaching Becky Rule, who finished fourth in her event in those 96 games. And Jin Lee eventually just stayed here in America, eventually was hired by Nevada, and now is in her 26th season with the Wolfpack. I mean, to put in perspective how great of a coach she is, not only was she the NCAA Coach of the Year in 2016, her first six years in the Mountain West, she was named Mountain West Coach of the Year. She has more Mountain West Coach of the Year honors than everybody else on Nevada's campus combined. Like, she is phenomenal and I think one of the really cool things about her getting to go be a coach in the Olympics is she had her Olympic dream ripped away I mean she was the number one ranked diver in the world in the one meter springboard heading into the 1980 Olympics uh, she was diving for China but as part of a 66 country boycott uh, of those games because of the Soviet Afghan war uh, China did not participate in those uh, Olympics so Jin Lee who had trained her whole life she was taken out of her home at eight years old put in a diving facility to become this great diver, uh, worked all the way up to that point and then didn't get to because of some kind of political issue between the Soviets and the Afghans. Um, you know, really disappointing, I'm sure, for her not to be able to go as an individual, but be able to train somebody as a coach and take them to that spot where you got but didn't get to compete, I'm sure is exceptionally meaningful. And I know when you talked to her when they landed at the airport, uh, Jin Lee had told you that, you know, they're doing it for USA. They're doing it for their country and they want to go have a successful Olympics so their country is proud of them. It's crazy how you say she was eight years old when she was put into this diving facility. I mean, I can't even imagine eight years old and you're training for this your entire life. And then because of something completely out of your cause, it's taken away from you. And I can only imagine now the joy that she gets from being able to coach players like Krista and who who she's been able to coach in the past to maybe relive that dream in a, a little bit in just a different way. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it has to be so fulfilling. And the thing about Jin Lee is she'll take her divers over to like China and Japan, you know, when they're with the Wolfpack. So like she will go and try and get them those experiences. And I think that's helped Krista because as she's kind of stepped onto the international pedestal and gone against this great competition, you know, she's been to a lot of these locations before. She's been to a lot of these countries and she knows the level that she's had to hit to get to this point. So yeah, and I know Jin Lee couldn't be prouder of Krista and, and it's in reverse as well. Like Krista completely acknowledges the impact that Jin Lee's had on her life, on her 
athletic career and getting her to this point. And, uh, you know, I think Jin Lee, you know, she won't, if, if Krista goes out there and win, wins a medal, Jin Lee doesn't get a medal too. But, uh, you know, I think it'll be really cool for her to be able to hold that and say, you know, we did this together. And, you know, my Olympic dream may have been taken away from me literally 41 years ago, but, you know, now we're doing it together. Now I got this Olympic medal as a coach. And I think that would be such a fulfilling feeling for Jin Lee to be able to experience. Totally. And Krista, she, you know, she's admitted before and she did when, you know, we talked to her after she got back at the airport there, she said, I wouldn't be anything if it wasn't for Jin Lee. She has turned me into the diver I am today, hands down. And Jin Lee spoke so highly of Krista saying, you know, she was one of the best that she's trained before. So it'll be very exciting to see them both representing Team USA in Tokyo, those games that we'll have over on our sister station, NBC for you. Um, before we go in this segment, though, uh, former Nevada basketball player Marquise Coleman, he's signed overseas. He joins a team in Portugal that recently had DJ Fenner on their team as well. Yeah, that's a pretty cool little thing for Marquise. I mean, you obviously have to go overseas if you want to make money, if you're not quite good enough to get to the NBA level. But, uh, you know, Coleman has played for a number of teams internationally and will continue to continue his basketball dream. Uh, they're also starting the basketball tournament in a couple of weeks. So if you don't know what that is, it's basically a winner-take-all 64-team event where the winning team gets $2 million. So Mo Charlo, former Nevada alum, uh, was on the winning team a couple of years ago. Unfortunately, because it was during the pandemic, it was only a $1 million prize. But Marquis has played in this tournament before, and there's actually going to be a number of players with Wolfpack ties playing in the basketball tournament. Uh, you know, Jerry Evans is playing on a team. Brandon Fields is playing on a team. So I'll have that full list out. I got to go through all 64 teams, so it's going to take a while. But uh, that's on ESPN, so you get to see maybe some old Wolfpack players playing for potentially $2 million here in the coming weeks as well. But, uh, you know, everybody's focusing on the NBA playoffs, but these international leagues continue to just turn around, turn around, turn around, and you can make good money if you're having a lot of success playing internationally. 64 teams. That's going to be a lot of rosters to go through. But <laughs> yeah, I, it's going to take a while. Yeah. That's why I can't give you the full list right now. I know Brandon Chambers, a uh, former Nevada assistant coach, uh, director of operations, is on Team ALS. He unfortunately lost his father to ALS. And that's kind of one of the big teams that started this tournament as they were trying to do a fundraiser for ALS. So, uh, yeah, I'll get through all the names soon enough. But, yeah, like you said, that's a lot of rosters to go through to get all 64 teams checked off. That'll be happening soon on ESPN. Look out for Chris Murray's full story on our website soon. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, the Reno Aces sweeping the AAA West Weekly Awards. We'll break that down right after this quick break. The following segment is sponsored by Renown. Welcome back into NSN Daily. Well, the Reno Aces wrapping up their homestand at Greater Nevada Field here, the last one of the month. And they just recently, they swept the AAA West Weekly Awards. Josh Van Meter and Humberto Maya earning the accolades for this week. Josh Van Meter no longer with the Reno Aces, though. And I think you're going to see this moving forward. The Aces have off to a tremendous start, 27 and 14, best in the AAA West. They've scored 327 runs. That's 60 more runs than any team in their division. So the offense has been great, but we did see Josh Van Meter get called up to the big leagues. Dalton Varsho, who's the best prospect on the team, he's a catcher slash center fielder, so a very unique player, got called up to the big leagues as well. And I think this is going to be what you're going to see in the future. The Diamondbacks, the parent club of the Reno Aces, have been struggling, struggling mightily. I mean, they've been really, really bad this year. They're 21 and 53. That's the worst record in MLB. They just set an MLB record with 23 straight road losses. 
So if you're the Diamondbacks and your season's kind of a lost cause, you're going to go down to the AAA level and say, give me all your good prospects. We're going to, you know, give them a half season and see if they can hack it at the big league level. So it will be interesting to see the impact on the aces, which are playing so well. But, you know, congratulations to those guys. That's where they want to be. And now Dalton Varsho is going to get a chance as one of the best catching prospects in baseball to prove that he's a big league player. And as much as he's enjoyed playing for the aces, you know, you want to be up at that top level producing and he's going to get that opportunity over the next couple of weeks and upcoming months. I thought he had a very interesting backstory with his father being involved in the league. And then also, like you said, playing catcher and out, being an outfielder as well. I mean, that's not typically something that I feel like you see as you get more up into the ranks. So, I mean, how will he stack out them once he gets back to the Diamondbacks? Because he's already been called up before, but catcher and outfielder that I feel like that's got to be tough. It's got to be very tough, but Dalton has been very open that he wants to be a catcher full time. I think that's uh, his favorite position. Uh, the D-backs did just lose their best catcher. Carson Kelly was hit on the, the hand and broke his, his hand. Um, so he's going to be out for a couple of weeks, if not a couple of months. So that will give Dalton the opportunity to play the primary position that he wants to play. I mean, this is a guy who had two home runs, including a grand slam in the same inning in Friday's game. Uh, both were opposite field. He's not a big guy, but he has tremendous opposite field power. He's an excellent athlete for a catcher, probably one of the best catching athletes in all of MLB right now. Like he's got a ton of speed. And like you said, uh, you know, he grew up with a father who was a longtime big leaguer. He was the interim manager of the Philadelphia Phillies. So like he eats, breathes and, and sleeps and drinks this game and he's got the bloodlines and now he has the opportunity. And, you know, this is uh, these prospects will get these opportunities, but they're they're fleeting. If you don't go and take advantage of it, and he's been called up to the big leagues twice, and he's hit under 200, you know he's got to go up there and prove it and show you know don't send me back down. I can come and hit 250 for you. I can handle the pitching staff, and if you need me to go play center field, well heck, I can do that as well. So this is a good opportunity for him. Maybe not the greatest development for the Aces as they lose a couple of really key players up to the big leagues, but I think they're proud that they're going to send these guys up there, and you know they're probably hoping they don't come back because they're having success. And what better way for Blake Lawley to start off his managing career here with the Aces? I mean, they've really, they've been on a roll this year. You know, I asked him last week when we were talking for Aces All In, I was like, are you guys playing football down in Vegas or were you playing baseball down there? Because they scored 71 runs throughout the course of six games and their bats have been hot again this past weekend against Albuquerque. And they're going to hit the road for a series in Sacramento next. They're playing these six game series this year with a day off on Wednesday. So be interesting to see if they can keep it rolling despite losing some key pieces to their puzzle. Yeah, I think they will. I mean, they're averaging eight runs per game. Is that number going to fall a little bit? Yeah, I think it will. I mean, they lost Josh Reddick earlier in the season and then Van Meter and Varsho, but uh, there are some really good prospects at the double A level, you know, in this organization. So maybe they get pushed up and they get an opportunity, but that's going to be the thing with a manager. You're going to have to learn your new personalities and what makes them tick. And it's a constant rotation, a constant churn. But, uh, you know, that means that your players are having success that they're being called up. You know, part of it's because the D-backs are struggling. But, um, you know, I, I think that Blake Lawley is going to be a big league manager within the next five years. And I think this is great training ground for him uh, to be able to work a roster and show that he can get the best out of every player that comes through his organization and his program. Definitely. And we'll see as the season rolls on as at Greater Nevada Field, what else the Aces can continue to do. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, Carl Nassib of the Las Vegas Raiders coming out on Instagram yesterday saying he is gay. He is the first NFL player to openly say so. We'll talk about that next. 
What's up, people? I'm Carl Massive. I'm at my house here in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Just want to take a quick moment to say that I'm gay. I've been meaning to do this for a while now, but I finally feel comfortable enough to get it off my chest. Um, I really have the best life. I got the best family, friends, and job a guy could ask for. Um, I'm a pretty private person, so I hope you guys know that I'm really not doing this for attention. Um, I just think that representation and visibility are so important. Um, I actually hope that like one day videos like this and the whole coming out process are just not necessary. Um, but until then, you know, I'm going to do my best and do my part to cultivate a culture that's accepting, that's compassionate. And I'm going to start by donating $100,000 to the Trevor Project. They're an incredible organization. They're the number one suicide prevention service for LGBTQ youth in America. And they're truly doing incredible things. And I'm very excited to be a part of it to help in any way that I can. And I'm really pumped to see what the future holds. Well, that was Carl Nassib coming out on Instagram yesterday saying he is gay. He is the first NFL player to be open about it. And it's Pride Month and he posts, posted it on Instagram. He wrote a little story about it as well. And, you know, what better way for him to be able to come out and, and say how he truly feels and to be the first NFL player to do this. And I have to imagine this wasn't an easy thing for him to do. Oh, surely a huge load off of his shoulders. I mean, there's so much pressure on just being able to be yourself in a locker room as masculine as there is in the NFL and to be knowingly uh, gay, but not be able to, you know, kind of express that. So, uh, you know, I think we're all hopeful that we get to a point where nobody has to come out and make a big announcement about it. But I think this is not only going to take some pressure off his shoulders, this is going to make a lot of, you know, kids who are out there who are gay, just relieved to know that there is representation at the NFL level, that they can go and be themselves and still achieve their dream. If one of those dreams is to get to the NFL as part of this announcement, uh, Carl did say he was giving $100,000 to the Trevor Project, which is the number one suicide prevention service for LGBTQ youth. Um, and that is a huge, huge concern because of the pressure that a lot of these kids live under thinking that they're different and that what they're doing is wrong when it's not. So, uh, you know, Carl's had an amazing life. He was a walk on at Penn State who became the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year, became a third round draft pick, was cut after a year, but still persevered and cashed in a $25 million contract with the Raiders. So he's been through a lot in his life and he's going to be remembered forever as the first openly gay NFL player. And I think that's a great thing that he's able to be able to, you know, be secure enough in himself uh, to be honest with everybody about that and just go live his life as he chooses. Absolutely. And you said it right there. He's going to be remembered as the first. I mean, he made, he made history. I know hall of fame quarterback Warren moon came out on Twitter and, you know, he said he knew guys that were in his locker room that just wouldn't come out and say it. So this isn't, you know, he's not the first, but he's the first openly. So it is a very tough thing. And like you said, he's also donating to the Trevor project as well. So a great thing for him. Um, very nice to see that he was able to come out and, and be himself, be his true self. That's what everyone wants to be at the end of the day. And there's a lot of pressure on him, on all of these athletes, but I think this will help spread awareness as well. That'll do it for us here today on NSN Daily for Shannon Kelly and Chris Murray and Jenna Holland directing us behind the scenes. We'll see you back here on Wednesday.